0: you yeah. corner with the line, but walks right out with it, oh, the New England, world, New England and to nothing. And on, and it in the Blues at the bench are realizing that they are going to be champions. Ten seconds to go. The longest wait for a first title any team in this league has had for the first time
1: the Blues the Stanley Cup champions. Welcome to Center Rice. We're happy to bring you this post-Stanley Cup show. Of course, the Stanley Cup is over. The Blues end their drought. It's a great story. Matt and I watched that game together. Jordan Bennington was absolutely unconscious. One of the best Game seven goalie performances I've ever seen in my life.
0: I absolutely have to agree. Jordan Bennington certainly had a lot of help from his offense with them scoring four goals, but he stole the show. Some of the saves he was making, particularly in the first, I'd say, ten minutes of that first period, when the Blues kind of came out—sorry, the Bruins kind of came out on a uh, a real good note. They had a lot of great chances, but he was a brick wall. And ultimately ended up being four to one. But really that that goal he let in wasn't his fault. It was late in the game, they were already up four nothing. It didn't matter. So I would have to absolutely agree, one of the best game seven goaltending performances we'd ever seen. And the only question was at that point was he gonna win the con Smythe? And it went to Ryan O'Reilly, which you and I both agreed. It's a it was a very solid pick. Lee led the blues in points, had a very solid Playoff run, and nobody's going to complain about that. But Jordan Bingham certainly must have been in the conversation.
1: Oh, yeah. I think it was probably between him, Petrangelo, and O'Reilly. And O'Reilly uh, led the series in points, almost led the playoffs in points. You can't really argue with him getting the award. But what I noticed when he got the award is he didn't really care that much. He kind of thanked his teammates. You know, took the award and was like, let's get on to the Stanley Cup.
0: Well, yeah, when you won the Stanley Cup, yeah, the Conn Smythe is fantastic. But but I think also that shows
1: how kind of the guy Ryan O'Reilly yeah, is. Because he's... I think he knew, you know, you could give this to Alex Petrangelo or Jordan Bennington. I would not care. You know, I think maybe he thought Bennington was going to win it. Uh, and he didn't. He looked a little surprised, didn't he, when he won it.
0: Yeah, I think he thought that Bennington or Petrangelo were going to be the ones that won it. But that's as you said, that's the type of guy Ryan O'Reilly is. He's one of those players that he's very dependable. You know he's going to put points up, but he's never really in your face about it. And yeah. That's what uh, his teammates love about him. He's, he's a team player, and it showed when he won the Conn Smythe. This Blues Stanley Cup championship run almost is like a movie, don't you think?
1: Oh, this could be
0: a fantastic Hollywood movie
1: for sure. I mean, this is like you said, it's you could make it into a movie like last place in the NHL going to sell everything, including all your top players. There were destinations out there for them. Alex Petrangelo still only has one year left. You, The Blues fans really thought maybe this was, you know, a failed experiment and that was it. And then, like, it really is crazy. Like, you call up this rookie goaltender who has never proven a thing in the NHL. He's 25 years old. You, you've you waived him before. Like, this guy's been waived. He comes in. He doesn't want to leave. And he plays absolutely incredible the rest of the way. Never took a game off the rest of the season, including the playoffs. And sometimes, you know what? Sometimes all you need to really bring your team together is a hot goalie, and that's what the Blues got.
0: Absolutely. We've seen it time and time again. Look at Cam Ward in Carolina, jean Sebastian and Chiguerre for the Ducks in 03. Remember that? Yep. That, you know, Chiguerre and Ward and Bennington, very similar. The only difference between—
1: Antti Niemi for oh, Chicago. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah.
0: The only difference between Chiguerre, Bennington— you know, Ward, is that he did, ended up not winning the Cup, but those Ducks played a really hot Devils team, very good defensively, and he was up against Marty Berger, but he was incredible. I I remember a little bit of that run. I was very little at the time, but I remember Jaguar just playing lights out, and he even won the Conn Smythe, even though... Yeah, he Seaman. was... Yeah. And how often do you see that? That's how good of a goaltending performance he had in those playoffs, so... Sometimes you just, as you said, you just need to bring in a hot goaltender, and it changes everything.
1: And I thought I thought the most interesting end of the game was the reaction of Brad Marchand. And uh, people were, will continue to talk about it throughout this entire offseason because, let's face it, there are a lot of people that don't like the Boston Bruins. They're just, you know, they're an original six franchise. A lot of people don't really like the Bruins. And for a good reason, a lot of people don't really like Brad Marchand. So... Some fans that do not like him saw his reaction. He was essentially crying. Um, he was upset. And some I think there was a photo captured online that oh, just yeah, went everywhere of him just gloving his face. Yep, sad. I've seen it. Sad Brad Marchand, something you don't see a lot.
0: But you know what? You get to Game 7 of the Stanley Cup Final. Your team, you, when going into that game, if you're the Bruins... You gotta feel pretty good about yourselves. You had a dominating win in Game Six. You're coming home to your hometown crowd. You've got Tuka Rask in hand. You've got these guys on the ropes. And let's be honest, the Bruins' Game Seven performance was not good.
1: I think there I think points. it was right. It was inconsistent. You can't say they didn't have chances. Jordan no, no, Bennington no, no. absolutely robbed them five or six times throughout the game, and I think they just. You know, there was a key mistake on that first goal. Brad Marchand went for a line change. I don't know if you noticed that. I think that was the second goal. It but was, it was one of, was I one think of the key ones. I think it was ones. the first goal to end the first period. Um, and that did, I mean, how does that make, you know, the young guys and the veterans feel on your team when a guy like Brad Marchand goes for a line change and then a goal is scored when he should stay on the ice for seven extra seconds or whatever it was?
0: Yeah, if he stayed on that ice, that goal wouldn't have happened.
1: I don't think it would have. And that could have made a huge difference in the game. Um, Because I think an element that the Bruins have that not many teams have uh, in these playoffs is, I'll be frank, they scare the hell out of you. Because you know they can go on one of those tears where they score, you know, two goals in five minutes. They're never really out of any game. And I think the Blues do that. So they locked it down. You know, Bennington was great. But I think the Blues deserve a lot of credit for shutting down the neutral zone and frustrating the Bruins the final two periods.
0: And remember, when we, you when and I were watching the game, going into the third period, you you were pretty confident that the Blues were going to win this. And I was still on the side of, I don't know, because the Bruins, all it would take is one power play or one bad bad bounce for the Blues, and here come the Bruins. But as you said, you got to give a lot of ca- credit to the Blues. They were able to stifled the Bruins' offense. Of course, Jordan Bennington made some outstanding saves. I'd say that save late in the second period, right before it became 3 nothing, is when that game was over. As soon as Jordan Bennington made that save, I think that was it.
1: Probably, yeah.
0: Because I forget who it was that was skating with it. But... Anyways, it was an incredible save. It finished the game. That w- when you make a save like that when you're up 2 nothing. If, even if you're a guy like a John Tavares or a Sidney Crosby or a McDavid, right, that's frustrating. That's extremely frustrating because that is the best opportunity they had all night, and they got denied. It's almost like when you and I are playing EA NHL, and that's a story for another time. But when you're going in and you just absolutely get robbed, it's, just, it's frustrating. It really is, even though you're dominating, saves like that are just killers. And
1: before we wrap up on this, I, I don't think Tukarasks deserves the hate on this game that he's getting because it, really, if you look at two out of those three goals, I would argue maybe all three of them. I don't think he had a chance on any of them. Two of them were beautiful shots in the slot directly in front of him. And the second one was an absolute laser beam one timer from Braden Shen full speed Unless Tuukka Rask reacts and somehow puts his pad in the right place and just reads that on the spot, he's not saving that. And Tuukka Rask, for as much as he did in the playoffs, it's really unfortunate for him because Bruins fans are going to remember this Game 7, and they're going to hang it over his head. I think he deserves a ton of credit for how much he carried the Bruins past Round 1, where we've mentioned before he was a little bit shaky. After that, he just found his form, and he was outstanding. Very reminiscent of Tim Thomas when they won the Cup against the Vancouver Canucks years ago.
0: I'd say without Tuukka Rask, the Bruins wouldn't have made it that far.
1: But yeah, yeah, for sure. Th-
0: there were points I found particularly in the conference finals. Even though they swept the Hurricanes, there were points where the Hurricanes were really all over the Bruins, and Tuukka Rask had to make some great saves. And he, Just like Jordan Bennington pretty much stuffed the life out of the Bruins' offense. He did the same to the Hurricanes. And the—not the Islanders, but, you know, Blue Jackets. <laughs> one of those guys. But Tuka Rask had an outstanding playoffs. And uh, as you said, it's unfair to hold the Game 7 loss against him because, as you said, I'd say three out of the four goals really were ones that there was no chance he had at getting them. And even the, even the final one, the fourth goal— You know, you could make an argument that that was unfair against him. He wasn't going to be able to make that save. So, I'm not going to hold it against him. I think it was, for me to wrap up on it, the reason the Bruins lost was just inconsistency. If they kept pressuring Jordan Bington all night, like they had for the first 10 minutes, and I'd say first five minutes of the third period, maybe they would have won that game. But... It was the inconsistent plays and the mistakes here and there that the Blues were able to take advantage of that ultimately lost the Bruins the game, but won the Blues the Cup.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So the offseason is officially underway. If you didn't know a couple big moves, let's talk about what happened yesterday. First of all, Eric Carlson staying in San Jose long term, eight years, 92 million dollars.
0: Uh, and uh, forget boardman gets paid <laughs> well, <laughs> ek gets paid and he is going to get paid a lot i like what a, a good friend of mine john melky said on his and uh, he replied to a comment i forget who i think it was dan in our program he he wrote that uh, boy someone she's not homesick anymore and uh, john replied quite frankly if for 92 million i could get over being homesick <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I, I would, too. And uh, I said for $92 million, she could fly back and forth from Ottawa whenever she wants.
1: Oh, yeah. yeah.
0: E- quite easily.
1: I and, think she'll probably uh, plant some seeds in San Jose if I had to guess. Yeah,
0: well, would you rather live in San Jose, California in the middle of the winter or Ottawa in the middle of the winter? <laughs> and yeah, you've experienced Ottawa, a couple Ottawa winters, so...
1: Yeah. For those of
0: you who are listening from California, it's dark, it's cold, and you probably get 15 feet of snow in front of your house. Yep. So, yep. And the Sens Arena is out in the middle of nowhere. And I got to say, in the winter, going into work there, if you think it's cold here, right here at Algonquin in the city, you head out to the Sens Arena, the winds are probably whipping at 30 kilometers an hour, and its I'd say it's five degrees colder out in Canada. So... If you're Eric Carlson, I think he, I it makes sense to stay in San Jose. You've got some friends there. He seemed to have a great time in San Jose this season. He certainly sees that this team still has a cup contention window open. You and I were discussing this yesterday, and the point that you and I kind of both agreed on is if Eric Carlson is healthy and this team wins a cup, even if he's not the Eric Carlson he was a couple years ago on the last two years of the deal, it won't matter. It really won't because they'll have won the Stanley Cup. But I think Eric Carlson needs to be at full health or mostly full health, and I think they need to have some playoff success for this deal to really be considered a success, don't you?
1: Oh, yeah. But, I mean, I if you look at the player Eric Carlson is when he's healthy – We've mentioned how good he is. I mean, this this guy is arguably the best defenseman in the league when he's healthy. And like we said, part of being banged up and being injured I think has led him to become a better overall defenseman. I mean, years ago, there were people in Ottawa that said he wasn't the greatest two-way defenseman. And to be fair, that was still part of his game he was working on, but he didn't deserve some of the hate he was getting from fans saying he was a bad uh, defender in his own end because he wasn't. But I'll tell you what, in the last few years, the amount of growth I've seen in Eric Carlson's overall two-way game is outstanding. And to me, the San Jose Sharks are still as good a team as there is in the league. I think maybe they need to change up the mix they have there. Maybe they're not bringing back Joe Pavelski. Who knows? But I feel like they had a tough decision to make, and ultimately they said to themselves, he's part of the solution here, not the problem.
0: To to me, uh, I don't see Joe Pavelski coming back next year. As much as he is a fan favorite in San Jose, sometimes you got to make the tough decisions to for the greater good. Just look at uh, DeMar DeRozan and Kawhi Leonard last season for the Raptors. I know I'm bringing in basketball here, but it's – it almost would be a similar situation, don't you think? You're getting rid of a fan favorite. Fans may not be happy short-term, but the money you'd pay Joe Pavelski, and don't get me wrong, I love Joe Pavelski as a player and as a person. He's he's a great guy. I'd say most teams would love to have him on their team, but that cap money that you save by not signing guys like Pavelski and Thornton could go to sign some younger, better talent to come in and really shore up that Sharks roster for a deep playoff run. Don't you think?
1: Oh, for sure. And I think this is a, this is not exactly the same as the Patrick Marlowe decision they made. And I think ultimately that was the right one because I would say Joe Pavelski still has more game left. And he's, you know, he's obviously younger than Marlowe was at the time at the same time. Like you said, you've got hurdle Meyer, Couture, like you still have a great forward group, and you know, maybe it's time to just kind of hand the keys over to them and say, you know what, Logan Couture, Thomas Hurdle, Timo Meyer, Eric Carlson, Brent Burns, Vlasic, this is your team now.
0: I think they should have done that years ago, honestly. Don't, don't get me wrong, I, I love Joe Thornton, and he's a great leader, but I think if with the younger core taking the lead now, I think that it'll make a big difference for San Jose. Ha- having that youth movement, we've seen it work time and time again in the league. You still need a couple of veterans in there to keep everyone focused, if you know what I mean. But having that youthful core really becoming the, the main core of San Jose, I think will do wonders for them going into next season. The only concern I have for the San Jose Sharks is... Between Vlasic, Burns, and Carlson, I think it was something, $30 million or something between the three of them. I don't think it's that high, but it was a lot of money. Mm -hmm. And you're committed to them long term. And I get why you commit to them long term. But let's say, let's say Carl, I hope it doesn't happen because you know I love Eric Carlson. I've come on the show many times and said, I love Brett Burns, I love Carlson Vlasic. But let's say. The injuries continue to be a problem for them. Well, then that deal doesn't look all that good, but that's kind of the risk you have to take on these types of deals.
1: I mean, it's, it's the same thing as signing a superstar in any other sport that's had an injury prone history, but has shown when they're healthy, they are so far above everyone else that you just can't stand to not have them. It's, you know, so I, I, I feel like it's a risk you had to take and, and, for the sharks i mean it was less of a risk because they did have a lot of cap space to play with unlike you know some other teams that are really in a crunch right now
0: oh yeah and here's the other thing if you're san jose carlson did undergo surgery early i'm sure that factored into it yeah they probably talked to the team doctors and said well what do you think the timeline is do you think this will permanently fix the issues that have been plaguing him for the last year and a half and they got to feel pretty confident with that answer with the deal they just signed him to. Carlson, certainly, the impression I'm getting from the videos I'm seeing from him is that he's feeling really good about this. He's going to have a good offseason, really shore up those leg muscles and groin muscles, and he should be ready to go at the start of next season as long as everything stays on track. So I think Eric Carlson will never be the player he once was with the injuries he Had, but he can be a better player because of that. As you mentioned, the two-way game. I think Eric Carlson as a strong two-way defenseman is more dangerous than the offensive defenseman, don't you? Because not only can he beat you in the offensive zone now, now he can beat you in the defensive zone and make some great defensive plays. And we saw that this year in San Jose. There were times where Carlson would just make outstanding plays in the defensive zone, and I would think to myself, Carlson never did that in Ottawa. Mm -hmm. Never, ever, ever did I see him do that in Ottawa. And now he's doing those things. And I I love to see it. I absolutely do. I think it's not only is it good for the Sharks, but it's good for his career. Because playing that offensive defenseman role, you know, it can be a bit of a high-risk gamble. And now that he's more of a two-way player, it's good for him. I think it'll be good for his legs, his body. I think it'll prolong his career. And I I think if he's healthy next year, San Jose should once again be in the Cup contenders.
1: I'll say I've said this before, and I'll say it again. For me, since 2016, when they went on that Stanley Cup run, Martin Jones has not been at the same level he was in 2016. I don't know if you had a chance to watch him that year, but he was probably the best goalie in the playoffs or next to him, next to Matt Murray. Like he was just outstanding for me since then. He just hasn't been that same level. He's shown periods of dominance and he's had games where you say, wow, Martin Jones is really playing well, but not to that level. So I wonder if, if Doug Wilson is pondering this right now, because I think there's teams out there that would be interested in Martin Jones but I feel like he's going to stay the course with Jones. I'm really not sure. But anyway, let's let's move on to the other big news. Jacob Truba. A little surprisingly on the move very quickly here. Yesterday traded to the New York Rangers in exchange for defenseman Neil Pionk. And the 20th overall pick, which was originally in the Kevin Hayes trade, goes back to Winnipeg.
0: Well, to me, this is more of a salary dump more than anything else. Truba, during his negotiations, it was kind of known that he didn't really want to stay in Winnipeg. His negotiations, I think, Elliot Friedman brought up a great point on Sports Center yesterday, Sportsnet Central, whatever. Anyways, he brought up a great point. He said that the negotiations were always tough between Truba and the Winnipeg Jets. There was an impression. That he wasn't going to stay long term. He didn't really want to stay long term. And you and I both know the Jets need salary cap. Mm-hmm. And having Truba, a potential long term Truba deal off the books. As much as Truba is a great player, and you and I know that. He, I think he had 53 points over the season this year as a defenseman, which was very good. And he had a pr- he was pretty good in the playoffs too. Not at the best I've seen him play, but good enough to get him noticed. And I think if you're Winnipeg, yeah, it sucks to lose Truba, but Pion coming back to the Jets, considering the situation they were in, getting the first pit, first round pick and Pion, I think it's an okay return. I know Truba's a really good player, but you have, to con- you have to consider the circumstances in this return.
1: Well, the other circumstance is that his fiance, who's currently studying in medical school in Florida, was way too far away from him in winnipeg all these years so he wanted to be closer to her and i think ideally he would have liked to be with maybe the florida panthers which is you know right in florida but ultimately this was the closest he could get in the best situation he could get so uh th- th- good for him i mean i think it explains a lot in terms of why he didn't want to sign in winnipeg and I understand what you mean in terms of getting what you can. I just feel like maybe he could have gotten a little bit more. At the same time, I don't know what was going on. Maybe he was saying, you know, this is it, you know, trade me today or something, and I'm unwilling to sign – an offer sheet or anything like that. You
0: kind of get the impression about that based on the return, though, don't I, you? I just I don't know. I, I do I agree. Thought c- he'd
1: fetch a little bit more. I really did because the Rangers are going to sign him for a long term deal, and um, uh, to me, this was the kind of deal that you make when maybe the other team's going to sign him. But Pionk. I don't think he's much more than what he is right now. We'll see. He's still young. Um, I think he's kind of a good top four offensive defenseman type. Um, Winnipeg could use that. If you look at the decline of uh, Tobias Enstrom, you've still got Dustin Bufflin, um, and you've got some young guys like Sammy Niku coming up. But here's the other thing that is really interesting for the Winnipeg Jets. Not only have they decided to move on from Truba because – their hand was forced, let's face it, in more ways than one with the salary cap and with Truba wanting out. Nikolai Ehlers' name is widely in trade talks right now, and it seems like maybe that's a guy that they're willing to move so they can sign Patrick Linea, Kyle Connor, and the rest of the RFAs that they have.
0: Yeah, the Ehlers is a great player. You and I know that. But I could see him on the move, and I think... If you're Winnipeg, once again, it's almost one of those moves where maybe you don't want to trade him. Maybe you think you can get more in return. but it's Well, almost, you'll, you'll get re- oh, yeah, yeah. a great
1: return for Ealers. Oh, I'm not going to disagree. He's locked in, and there's no questions regarding him other than can he compete at a high level because that is the question with Ealers that I think the Jets have been asking themselves ever since they signed him to that big contract extension. He's shown at times he can take over a game. He's one of the best skaters. He can drive the play. But then there's other times in the playoffs where he's absolutely invisible. And I think the Jets said to themselves, we would rather have Kyle Connor than Nikolai Ehlers. It's as simple as
0: that. Kyle Connors is a bit younger, and, I, and
1: he's a better player.
0: Yeah, yeah, and he's a better player. So I think they'll get a good return for Ehlers. I do think their hands are a little tied on that one, but. Once you get his contract off the book, that gives you a lot of extra money to work with. And if the uh, strings are pulled right, they could get a good return for him too. So mm-hmm. I could see that being a good move. But I want to get back on the Rangers really quickly. The Rangers, when they said they were going into the rebuild, I think it wasn't last December, but it was a recent December. <laughs> but remember, they said they were going to go into a rebuild. They weren't going to rush it. But... Boy, that rebuild sure is accelerating now, isn't it?
1: They have done a fantastic job managing some of the contracts, making tough decisions. I mean, it wasn't really an easy decision to say, "Okay, we're going to trade Hayes. Um, we're going to keep Henrik Lundqvist. You know, we're not going to buy out Kevin Shattenkirk." All these things are not easy decisions, but I think Jeff Gordon has done a tremendous job managing this Rangers team, and you look at where they're at right now. Now they've just got Jacob Truba, who they're about to sign to a long-term deal, and they're about to get either Hughes or Kako. That's a pretty (laughs) good week for the New York Rangers.
0: And you've got some of your young players coming into their own. Of course, one of my favorite New York Rangers, Mika Zemanjad, who I knew was a very good player in Ottawa, I recruited as soon as they said they were trading Derek Broussard for Mika Zibanejad, I had a feeling we'd regret that one day. Not that I don't like Derek Broussard, and he did well when he was in Ottawa, but Mika Zibanejad, I think everyone knew, when he got traded to the Rangers, he hadn't quite hit his ceiling yet. I still don't think he has. There's been times in New York where he's hes almost like an Oilers, right? He can get in there and dominate a game. He's a very solid center. I think... With a few more years of experience, I would be keeping my eye on Mika Zavanajad.
1: For sure. Yeah, he's shown great improvements, great strides made in his overall game the last few years, and really become a leader for that New York Rangers team. Let's move on to the other trade that I think raised a few eyebrows in terms of it kind of happening so quickly. Ole Mata to the Chicago Blackhawks for Dominic Cahoon and a draft pick.
0: Yeah, that one kind of came out of nowhere. It's just you, you, scrolling through Twitter. I don't know how the how you found out, but this is how I found out. I was scrolling through Twitter, minding my own business, just seeing what's going on in the Raptors championship parade or whatever. And oh, Olly Mata going to the Hawks. Well, that was kind of unexpected, but you know, it, it it's kind of an intriguing move, don't you think? And it's not that I don't like Olly Mata. It's just. Kind of an odd move for the Blackhawks, don't you think?
1: Yeah, um, I think this this was a risk, kind of a risk for the Blackhawks because, A, you're taking on more salary, although if you compare the salary situations of the Blackhawks and the Penguins right now, one is much better than the other, that being the Blackhawks is better than the Penguins. Um, the big thing with Ole Mata that I question is his skating. Um, to me, ever since he's come into the league the league has really, the, the quality of skaters throughout the last several years has really improved. And Ole Mata has shown that he's a solid two-way defender. He can defend, he can kill penalties, all that. But he has trouble keeping up with some of the best skaters in the game today. And I think the Blackhawks took a risk here. I think they they believe that this is something he can work on. He knows it's a problem. They know it's a problem, but they like what he can bring. And let's be honest, he's better than what they have. So it made sense for them to flip a guy who they had just brought in on an ELC from Germany who probably they didn't even envision bringing in, um, you know, if you look back at last year. And he played really well. He made himself a valuable player and they decided you know what as good as he played we feel there's an opportunity to get an asset here and that's only mata now the good thing about mata only a few years left on the contract so if it doesn't work out it's not a terrible contract this is not you're not paying this man seven and a half million a year nothing like that so we'll see it'll be interesting with the chicago blackhawks i think If I look at the Chicago Blackhawks right now, there's only a couple issues with them. And that's uh, forward depth in the bottom six. Um, Defense still, I think, is an issue. And goaltending. Goaltending first and foremost, I think. I don't know if you can go into next year and say, you know, Corey Crawford or Colin Delia or whoever you have is your guy because... I don't think that's good enough. I really don't. So we'll see what they do the rest of the offseason, but a big move there.
0: Yeah, uh, once again, a bit of a surprising move. I think the Hawks are in the long-term rebuild. Of course, you and I have known for years that they've been up against the cap. And as you said, only modest contract compared to some of the ones that they do have on defense, like the Brett Seabrook deal, is not all that bad at In the grand scheme of things, I think if you're the Blackhawks, it's really just about patience and trying to find some diamonds in the rough. Sometimes that's what you need to accelerate a rebuild, right? Bringing a prime example, Jordan Bennington, right? Who, as you said at the start of the show, who would have thought? And he came up, gave him his chance, gave him some, you know, gave him that, gave him that opportunity, gave him some gave him some coaching, and had an incredible run that ended up in the Stanley Cup, right? You never know with Ole right? You work on that skating, you work on his game a little, and could pay off in spades for the Hawks. You and I could be talking about that deal and think, well, that was the steal of the summer, right? He had an outstanding year for the Hawks. It, we don't know yet, but it could, right? Very well could. And if anyone could do it, I could see an Ole Mata having a real renaissance next year don't you
1: maybe maybe I, I still i'm still worried about the skating and a lot of, I, I read an article um in the athletics saying that a lot of scouts and people from around the league are saying that they are interested in the skill that ole Mata has but when you look at how fast the game is today and how good the skaters are there was a huge concern with him keeping up with them and so I think that's the reason that Chicago pulled the trigger. They took a risk. They they liked the player. Other teams were just unwilling to take that risk, it seems.
0: But you, you know what I mean. If it, It's a risk that if it pays off and he has that renaissance, then, well, it'll be a good deal. But it's not the biggest risk you, right. that we're going to see this offseason, that's for sure. Right, so, yeah, yeah. So as risks go, I think it was – of calculated risk and we will have to wait and see whether it pays off.
1: All right. So today was kind of an abbreviated show. Uh, We want to thank everyone for the listens on last week's show. The numbers were pretty good. We appreciate each and every one of you, whether you're from Mountain View, Toronto, Sydney, wherever you are. Thank you so much. We really appreciate you tuning into our show. Um, it was abbreviated today, like I said, but I think we will be back next week. There's a lot to cover. We should hear some more news about some potential trades. Of course, the NHL draft is on Friday. Uh, So an exciting time for hockey fans. And once again, congrats to the St. Louis Blues on winning the cup. It really was a great story. And you can tell we're in a pretty good mood because our Toronto Raptors also won the NBA title. And that was something else, to see the whole country, everyone. It was almost as if the whole world, the the whole country was at a standstill for this playoff run that the Raptors were on because it was full of highs and lows and great shots and missed shots, um, bad games, great games. You know, this was not an easy journey for the Raptors, but they got it done, and I thought I think the best – well, the parade was awesome yesterday, but I thought the Warriors taking out an ad in a Toronto newspaper, congratulating the Toronto Raptors, full-page ad, by the way, on their first championship, that was very classy of them. Good on them.
0: Yeah, it was fantastic. Uh, I haven't experienced a major championship like that in a long time, and I know you haven't either. It's great to see, and should be a fun summer with all the great sports stuff that's coming up.
1: And we will uh, keep you posted on any news that comes out, draft, trades, free agents. Just follow our Twitter at Center Ice Radio. I'll be tweeting out links and any information that comes our way. And once again, this has been Center Ice. Thank you so much for listening and have a great day, guys.